Good morning. I want to greet each one in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. I felt led, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. I felt led to continue in the book study there. <clears throat> it's been about three months ago since the last one I looked at. And this morning I have decided to look at both Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. Um, felt like they're kind of need to, to, to start and stop the thought. You kind of need to have both chapters. Um, but once again, as with the focus of Hebrews, is helping our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Um, this, this is in the early church. Obviously, Jesus is gone up to heaven at this point. But there were still people still struggling to understand who Christ was. And I believe especially um, among the Jews, and we'll look at that this morning. But understanding who Jesus is, how he compares to um, people in the Old Testament that the Jews looked up to. So let's just, let's start up. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, we'll read the first four verses. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Recently, I was re-listening to the uh, audio book about Nabil Qureshi's conversion to Christianity. And in that, he shares the story of when he was examining who Jesus was. His friend David gave him the book um, called uh, Josh McDowell's book more than a carpenter and it was hard for him coming from outside of Christianity into Christianity to understand who Jesus was especially from Islam who says that it's not possible for God to have a son so how can Jesus claim to be the son of God and his friend challenged him and this book did too that Jesus not only was more than a carpenter, he was, he made, he created, as, as uh, Nabil's friend David said, you know, he created carpenters. And to understand that idea that Jesus is much greater than any prophet, any man that has walked on earth. And we look at it here, we think of it, think of, think of it from the Jewish standpoint. They looked up to Moses. The law of Moses is everything to many of them. And yet, here, the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is much greater than Moses. And to put it in comparison, gives this idea that um, part of the reason he's so much greater is he not only you know, fulfilled a role similar to Moses, but he 
he in a sense created Moses. And so obviously there's much more honor needing to be given to him. Just, I mean, there is some interesting comparisons. I've done this before, but the type and shadow of Moses and Jesus, that Moses pointed towards Jesus. But to understand how much greater Jesus is because of this, Moses was called by God to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Jesus came to lead us out of Egypt spiritually. Moses could only do so much. He couldn't deliver them spiritually the way Jesus can. But we see the comparison. Moses delivered them from under the hand of Pharaoh, the control of Pharaoh. They were slaves. And we are all born with a sinful nature. And we're under the hand of Satan. And Jesus has come to do deliver us. So we see the, 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 the type and shadow that Moses was, but yet to compare Jesus and Moses as equals is, is wrong. And that's what the writer is trying to say, that verse 3, that Jesus is much more worthy of glory than Moses. Because Moses served well in his house, and we'll look at that in verse 5 and 6. Moses did well. But he was not Jesus. And we and we will see why that is so important to understand who Jesus is. Verse 5, And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So we see here that even though there, there are some similarities in what and God sent both of them, but yet Jesus is one with the Father. He's the Son. Whereas Moses was simply a servant. And that's true for any man. Many cults today will hold up a person as this perfect person and the person in some groups and some false religions becomes basically an antichrist or someone who takes the place of Christ. But for those of us that are Christians, there's no person on earth, whether before Christ or after him, even someone that was as humble and as a good leader and amazing, amazing what he did with God's help, Christ is so much more than that, and it's important for us to understand that. That no matter what he did, he would never he could never be as perfect or do the glory of Jesus. Moses could not resurrect himself. Jesus had that power. Moses could only deliver the children of Israel from a physical bondage. Jesus has the power to deliver us from spiritual bondage, which is so much greater. And that's what we, I, I, the challenge, the, the, the thought I want to leave with you this morning in that is that understanding the difference between even Joshua, uh, Elijah was considered a great man, a godly man, and yet Jesus is so much greater than he.
Moving on to verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. What is, the, what is he referring to? Well, we know the stories. I don't have time to go through all of them. I'll go through one of them today. But the fact that even though God did amazing things, led the children of Israel out of Egypt, yet so many of them never truly found the peace and the rest that God had wanted to give them. I don't believe it was God's desire for any of them to die in the, in the wilderness. And yet, because he's a God that wants to give us choice, that doesn't want to just make us do things, he had to allow them that choice of how they were going to respond to going to the promised land. And maybe you and your human thinking, me and my human thinking would say, well, God, why didn't you just quick take them to the promised land? Why did you make them go through that time in the wilderness? And that's something for me I don't know that I can completely understand. But I believe that God wanted that they knew that they would not appreciate going to the promised land if they did not have that experience in the wilderness. And there are many comparisons with us here. It'd be similar to, you know, this thought of when we become a Christian, why doesn't God just whisk us off to heaven at that point, right? We've made that decision. Wouldn't that be so much easier? But yet, God chooses to allow us to live here on this earth to live in the wilderness and to need to trust him and depend upon him just as the Israelites did for their daily needs. God doesn't just, for some people, yes, some people become a believer and within a few weeks, a few months, a few years, something happens and they are in eternity with him. But for many people, we accept Christ and we must continue to serve him for many years following. But it was sad to see that so many of the Jews, even though they had seen the miracles of being delivered out from under the hand of Pharaoh, a very powerful man with a powerful army, taken through the Red Sea, given water and food when they needed it, How could they who saw all these miracles still struggle and harden, as it says in verse 8 there, harden their hearts? Turn with me to Numbers chapter 16 where we'll see one of these stories. I don't want to read all the verses. It's a long chapter, but I'll read the first 14 and then 
pick up later in the chapter. Now Korah the son of Issar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye took too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him, even him whom he hath chosen, will he cause to come near unto him. This do, take your censers, Korah and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the men whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. You take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray, ye sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also? For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? And Moses sent to Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, and said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us out of the land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth milk and honey, or given us the inheritance of field and vineyards. Wilt thou pour out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. We see here that even though God had done amazing things and had taken care of them up to this point, yet these men rejected God's plan and didn't like that what Moses was asking them to do the way Moses was leading them. And they rebelled. And I, I believe in their minds, they felt like they were probably just rebelling against a, a leader that they thought was a bad leader. But yet, because God had led Moses and was directing Moses, they were rebelling against God himself. So, We need to be careful that when we think of the the idea of Moses being as Christ, I believe there are many today that God calls the leadership in churches, and yet they they rebel against God's plan. Some even try to take the place or mislook at who Christ is. Now I want to make clear, as I say this, I'm not saying that you need to view us in the ministry as Moses. What I'm saying is we need to be careful when it comes to following Christ that we do not look at Christ in the wrong way. We do not try to take the place of Christ. These men were trying to take the place of Moses. They were 
not wanting to follow him. And they, it was a grave mistake. But we, we, I want to also caution us as, as those of us that are leaders in the church and others. There are many people who have been called by God and done things, but over the, over the years, over time, have tried to take some of the glory from Christ. And we need to be careful of that. We need to learn from that. And then I'm going to finish up the story in uh, verses 23 through 35 of what the end result of the rebellion against Moses and against God was. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get ye up from the tabernacle of Korah, Datham, and Abram. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray ye, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So they got up the tabernacle of Korah, Datham, and Abram on every side. And Dathan and Abram came out and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives, and their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord, Lord make a new thing, and the earth open up her mouth and swallow them with all that pertaineth unto them, and they go down under, down, go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, the ground clave asunder, that was under them. And the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appear, pertaineth unto Korah, and all their goods. And they, and all that pertained to them, went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord, and consumed the two hundred and fifty men that had offered incense. Today, God doesn't typically do this when someone rebels against him and against Jesus. But I believe there, there's equal spiritual death as there was for these people who had rejected God. We need to be careful in how we follow God and follow Jesus. That wasn't the end of the story. I'm not going to take time to read it, but the end of chapter 16 Another 14,700 Israelites died of plague because they murmured about what had happened to these 250 men. So obviously these were men that were respected in the community, but yet they had rebelled against God, and so God judged them to show the rest of the Israelites who he had called to lead, who he was who was being obedient, let me say it more like that, not who he called, but who was being obedient to him. It was an extremely sad day for the nation of Israel. Just to put it in perspective, to think about that many people dying, the amount of people that have died from coronavirus in the city of New York is a similar per capita number of what who died here of the Israelites. But in New York, it's been three and a half months. Here it was in one day. 
So if you can imagine, it was, it was an extremely traumatizing time. But God needed to wake them up to realize that it wasn't something to take lightly to rebel against the one that God had sent, Moses, and the similar results it will be for us if we reject the one he has sent to us, his son, Jesus Christ. Now turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll pick up at verse 12. Now the writer of Hebrews is bringing it back to us today. It says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For ye are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So the writer of Hebrews is warning us. And I believe it's one reason why we have the, the stories we do in the Old Testament. Um, of the children of Israel. Why, why did God preserve that for us? I believe it was as a warning that just as the Israelites even though they had done, seen all the miracles of God and they had come out of Egypt. I was thinking about, you know, they, everyone, I believe, I believe everyone that had made it to this point of when this thing happened with Korah, they had all sacrificed a lamb. They had all put the blood on the doorpost. As I said earlier, they had walked through the Red Sea. And yet... It came to a point in their lives where their unbelief caused them to sin. So I believe we can make that comparison with us, those of us that have accepted Christ, have served him. There is still the possibility that we could fall away, that we could, through unbelief, fall back into sin and miss the ultimate blessing and rest that God wants for us. It, unbelief can lead to things such as sin, but also rebellion against God, and we need to be careful. I, I think we, most of us can think of someone in our life where we've seen this, where at one point they walked with God, but that rebellion against God led them, even though they still claim to be a part of his family, that unbelief led them away from God. Now I'd like to pick up at, uh, start reading at verse 1 of chapter 4. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. I don't believe that the fearful that he's talking about here is like being scared as much as it is to respect the, the possibility that we could fall away, that we could 
hear the gospel, know the truth, and still fall away from, through unbelief and sin. And so it is something we need to be aware of. If it could happen to the Israelites, who are God's chosen people, it can happen to each one of us. I'm sure many of the Israelites felt like, well, because they were born into that family, that they were safe. But just for us, we we may be born into a Christian home. We may have a lot of head knowledge of God and Jesus. But unless we put our complete trust and faith in him and continue to keep it there, we can still fall away through unbelief. I believe if it was just up to us in our own strength, I believe that we would, most of us would fail. But God knew this, and so he comes alongside us. He doesn't leave us alone. And we'll see that as we look through chapter 4 here. He was with the Israelites in the wilderness. There was the column of smoke during the day. There was the pillar of fire at night. He was with them. So why did they not trust him? Why did they start trusting themselves or through pride fall away and rebel against what he wanted? And it's just a, it's a, it's something to, to, like I said, not to fear, but to respect, to, to realize that it can happen to any of us. Now moving on to verses 3 through 10. What is this rest that God is talking about there in verse two, verse one and two? For we have, for we which believe do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some, that some must enter therein, they do. They to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today after so long a time, as it is said, Today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And in verse 8 there, hopefully I don't scare anyone here, but I, in doing study, I never noticed this before or if I had I'd forgotten it but really this word here in verse 8 Jesus should be Joshua if you think about it as we read through it it'll make much more sense for if Joshua had given them rest so this is speaking of Joshua taking them into the land of Canaan would he not afterward have spoken of another day would he then well like why would he have spoken of yet another day with David there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, meaning one beyond the children of Israel going in the land of Canaan. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. What is this rest? I went through this passage here, verses 3 through 10, and it mentions rest a number of times. And according to Strong's Dictionary, each one of those has the same original Greek word. It has the same definition. I just wanted to be sure of that as it's going through here. 
The definition it gives is a place of safety, repose, or shelter. So when when God was speaking of the rest that he had promised the children of Israel in the land of Canaan, we know when they were living in the wilderness in the tents, it's kind of hard to feel safe and rest. Some of you really enjoy camping. Most most of you enjoy doing it. I enjoy it, but I prefer being in a camper. Why? There's more rest in a camper, right? There's more safety and security in there. But some of you enjoy camping in tents. But if there's a storm or a wind comes along, there's not much safety in a tent. If there's a wild bear or wild animal, you'd rather be inside of a strong structure than inside of a tent. But yet the children of Israel were living in tents. And so they were looking for that safety and that rest, that repose that would come when they would reach the land of Canaan and be able to build homes build secure and safe places. So thinking about that, that's not really what the passage is talking about, but it's using that as an example for us to help understand that it's speaking of a spiritual place, a place where spiritually we can rest, we can have safety, there's security there. So what is it talking about? Just as we said, if it was just talking about the land of Canaan, why did God speak through David that there was another one coming. And I believe it's because it was talking about heaven. But is that rest possible for us here on earth? And it does talk about that as we go into verses 11 through 13. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we are to do. The word labor there in verse um, 11 is speaking not of work, like going to a job, but it's like to make effort, to be diligent, to endeavor. And so we're to to make an effort, we're to be diligent, we're to endeavor to enter into the rest that is talking about here. So what kind of rest is it? Is it something that's possible here on earth? Or is it something yet to come? And I I believe it's both. When I looked at study Bibles, the idea is one of them, the idea was there of taking time, setting a time aside time each week, um, like on like we do on Sunday here, of not working, of spending time in God's Word, extra time in His Word. I believe that is very important. We need that weekly rest so that we can remain strong. And not struggle with unbelief. But ultimately the rest. The the ultimate rest that God wants to give us. Is in heaven. Where we can. Put our struggles. Down. Leave it. In our earthly shell. And not take that with us. But yet there is rest. When we truly. Follow and serve God here on earth. And he wants that for us. 
So in that sense, it is like the land of Canaan. That is it permanent? Is it without its struggles? No, the children of Israel entered into that rest they were looking for. But yet, there were still times when their enemies would come and make war with them. There were still times when they would fall into sin and God would exile them. So the same is true here. Just because we've entered into God's rest here on earth by following him, by being obedient to him, doesn't mean the struggle is over. But we're ultimately looking forward to that permanent rest with him in heaven. And then I want to uh, read the, the closing verses in the chapter, verses 14 to 16. Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings or infirmities, but is in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If we want to hold fast on our profession, or another way to look at it, commitment to Christ, we must read God's word as it talked about in verses 12 and 13. We must stay in his word. We must be obedient to him. As the old song says, we can't let dust collect on our Bibles. We need to be careful that we read them if we want our commitment to remain. I thought I like the, uh, the way the ESV version has verse 15. So I'm just going to read it in that. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but, who, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus came, and even though he remains sinless, he was tempted, he went through, and so he can understand. He is the high priest that we can go to, and he truly does know what it's like to be tempted. He was tempted over and over again. And yet, he, through the power of God, was able to remain sinless. We are not Jesus. We aren't sinless. But we can have victory through him. We can go to him as our high priest and find forgiveness. And in closing, I just want to read a few more verses. Ephesians 2.18. You can write this down and read it later. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. He's that high priest where we can go to him when we need help, when we need forgiveness. And then turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that hath promised. So as we... All of us are getting older. 
And I also believe we're getting closer and closer to the return of Christ. Let us hold fast. Let us seek Christ and his power that we need to remain faithful, to not fall into unbelief. We need the blood of Christ to cleanse us. But let us hold fast in the time that God has given us. The Lord bless you.